the Greek word hati, which is a, a better translation perhaps would have been the word therefore or so that. Uh, in other words, this list is not an option. If you want verse 12 to work out for you where you're on God's side and not against him, then this list of seven things that I'm going to talk about are imperative that you practice. Let's look at the list. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. And here's what it says. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. All right, the first thing that we see there is that we are to have a united focus, to have a a oneness in our minds, that we're to be together on on things. I heard about uh, two guys, Arnie and Pete, that decided they were going to go ice fishing. And they headed out, and they found themselves a nice spot on the ice. They cut a hole in the ice, and they they stuck their, their poles in, and they Suddenly, a loud, booming voice down. They looked at each other. They looked up. They didn't see anyone. I suppose we'd better move then, said Pete. And they got all of their fishing gear up, and, and they moved to another spot, and they cut another hole in the ice, and they dropped their, their hooks down into the ice in hopes of catching some fresh walleye. Only once again to hear the voice from above say, There are no fish here. They moved to a third spot, and once again, they repeated the whole thing. They cut another hole in the ice. They dropped their hooks down and their bait down into, into that hole and, in hopes of catching some fish. But again, once, once more, that loud voice said, there are no fish here. And they looked around. They looked at each other. They looked up. And finally, Pete called out and said, God, is that you from above? The voice responded, no, this is the skating rink manager. There are no fish here. <laughs> I'm convinced that there's fish here, that there's fish all around Dover. There's fish in Thorntown and Advance and Jamestown. There's fish in Lebanon. There's, there's fish in the entire Western Boone School District. And we are called to be fishers of men. We're called to be like-minded and united in our our mission and focused on our vision and to go out and to make disciples and to lead them through the discipleship pathway and to get them connected and to see them commit their lives to Him and to grow in their faith and to become fully devoted followers of Christ. I am confident of that. And I'm confident that until every single person who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is one to Christ, our mission is not accomplished. And we have more people uh, to win, and we need that united focus. Zig Ziglar, the uh, motivational speaker, has now passed away, but <laughs> went to hear him speak one time, and he said he was one of nine children. He was actually number five of nine. And he said one time he asked his mom, he said, Mom, why'd you have nine children? And her response was, well, Zig, where do you think we should have stopped? And he thought to himself, well, certainly not after number four. (laughs) As long as there's one person outside of Christ, 
our work is not done. And I would say that that is not limited to the size of this room or the number of seats or the size of this building. Our mission is not complete. And remember, these first century Christians receiving this letter from Peter were scattered and they were persecuted. They were, in a, they were not only new to Christianity, but Christianity was new itself. And the idea of Gentiles coming from a pagan background and bypassing Judaism and going straight to becoming Christians without converting to Judaism first, they already were ostracized everywhere they looked. And now they were scattered, and now they were alone, and now they were persecuted. And Peter tells them, you need to have the same mind. You need to have a a united focus. It was imperative for them to keep their continuity. They needed to have this, uh, this unity. They were not alone, even in isolation. I've shared with you before that I worked on this sermon series in April. (laughs) And in April, we found ourselves in the middle of a quarantine we didn't see coming and didn't know how long it was going to last. And a couple of my preacher buddies and I were talking. and So I feel like the church needs to hear from the book of 1 Peter. Because we were living in isolation, but we were never alone. We are together. We are one. We are united. And these Christians were part of something bigger than themselves. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, this is what Paul says to the, Philipp- the Christians in Philippi, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, smallest, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You see that oneness throughout all of these letters of the New Testament. Later in Philippians 2, verse 2, it says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. A united force. A united focus. I sense that God is creating revival for Dover Christian Church. I don't say that as a pep session, as a rah-rah, as a, as a Pollyanna hopeful pastor. I, I really do believe that. I believe that God is creating a, a revival for Dover Christian Church. Just this past week, Kathy Robertson was sharing with us from our attendance roster that we edit every three months. Uh, we tweak it so that it's a reflection of exactly the, the people that are regularly attending so we can shepherd the flock and we can help disciple and bring new people in. And she shared with me that we have had 17 new households of people worshiping with us just since we returned to in-person worship. For a small rural church to have 17 new families, that's exciting. That's a big deal. God is the one who grows his church. It's not fancy advertising. It's not the eloquence of your communicator. It is God himself that is causing this to have... If you are a fairly new attendee of our church, you're not alone. You're part of something God is doing. Pam Cohey, a beloved member of our church, was in intensive care the week before last. But by Saturday of that same week, she was out of the hospital and well enough to attend a concert. And the next day, just this past Sunday, she was here teaching her growth group and in-person worshiping with us. And she's here today. God is good. Last month, 13 6th through 8th graders went with three of our youth sponsors to Turkey Run. 
They had their picnic and parent meeting yesterday. We were looking over the roster, and there are 21 6th through 8th graders currently attending our church regularly. Do you know how many churches out in the country would love to have 21 6th through 8th graders attending their church? That's awesome. Last Saturday, we had 15 kindergarten through 5th graders attend our back-to-school blast. Sunday, a couple Sundays ago, I was riding in the car with my daughter. I think I mentioned this last week. But she said, Dad, I normally have maybe six two- to four-year-olds on the high end. I had 12 today. <laughs> That's a lot of two- to four-year-olds. Our growth groups started back with nearly 60% in attendance of what we have in our worship attendance. Now, if you're new to Dover, that's really important to us because our growth groups, that's our Sunday school hour, and because we don't have any other small group ministry, that's, they function as our smaller uh, groups to connect to here at the church. And to have 50 to 60% in growth groups every Sunday, that's awesome. The worship that Matt has led us through during the three months of the quarantine, his first Sunday on staff, was welcome. <laughs> And uh, it now in person has been exciting and refreshing. Your faithfulness in giving has, has simply amazed me. It's, it's shown us your love for this church and the phone calls that the office gets saying, is the church okay? How's the church doing? That's touched our heart. But even more than that, it's a pulse on your spiritual health and that you're practicing that spiritual discipline. The month of July was the best financial month our church has had, uh, definitely in the last six years, but probably for more than 10 years. We're in the middle of a pandemic, supposedly, and yet God's people are alive and, and active here at Dover Christian Church, and you can't stop God's people. Today, we have a girl who wants to give her life to Christ and be baptized after our service, and another couple recently told me that they're ready to join the Dover family and be a part of our church again. God is on the move at Dover Christian Church, and we have a united focus. We're for the kingdom. We're charged by Jesus himself to go and to make disciples, and I'm excited about that, and I hope that you are as well. As mere men and women, we cannot create revival. God is the one who grows his church. It's up to us to pray for his revival, to recognize the waves that he creates when he creates them, and then to ride the surf when it comes. Let's not miss this opportunity. God is doing what he does best, being strong when we are weak and shining the brightest when everything around us seems to be the darkest. Only God would use a year like 2020 to shine so brightly. Well, there are seven things. The others won't take as long to go through, but sympathy. I looked up what the prefix S-Y-M means. It literally means together or with. It means that we're, we're in this together, whatever this is, life. We do life together. It means that when one of us is laughing, uh, we all laugh together. We all celebrate together. We all high-five the accomplishments of each other's kids and grandkids. Why? Because we are a family. We're the family of God. We are in this together. And it means that we weep when others weep. That we're sorrowful when others are sad. Every one of the seven things that I have listed that I've extracted from the passage today have an adjective in front of them without, but with the exception of sympathy. 
It was the only one that, and I, went, I felt the need to come up with one. You know, I'm a preacher. Everything's supposed to work out. Acrostics and, you know, three points of appointment and prayer. I mean, it's got to be, you know, and I couldn't package it that way. And I thought, well, if God did, I'll be fine with it too. Maybe there's a reason it doesn't need one. Maybe it speaks for itself. Sympathy. We're to be sympathetic, like-minded and caring. I, I care more when it's someone from our church family that has a celebration or a sadness. Oh, you can tell me the name of someone you, that I've never heard of and don't know and can't put a face with the name that lives in our community that's gone through a tragic experience and like anyone else, that tugs at my heart as a generic kind of thing. But if you say the name of someone who's worshiping with us every Sunday and you say, hey, I want to let you know what so-and-so is going through. I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that. Thank you for, for telling me. And I want to send a card, and I want to visit, because I'm sympathetic. I'm with them. I'm together. We're part of the family of God. We're part of the family, the Dover Church family. Um, Third thing, family love. John 13, verses 34 through 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, John 13, 35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It is our distinguishing characteristic. Our first series of messages out of 1 Peter we called uh, un- Unmistaking Identity unmistaken identity. And if you're a Christian, your unmistaken identity, part of what gives you away is that you have love one for another. I have an uncle who's with the Lord now. He had many struggles in his life, demons that he, he faced. And my grandparents thought he would never come to Christ. He came back from the war a little hard-hearted, grown up as a nominal churchgoer, but he didn't want anything to do with the Lord. And he was living with them while he was going through a, a divorce and the loss of a job. And my grandfather, in the midst of all of that, the greatest man I've ever known that's ever walked the face of this earth outside of Jesus, uh, suffered a massive stroke at the age of 68. But my grandparents were very active at Eastside Christian Church in Clarksville, Indiana, very devout followers of Christ. My grandmother had become the church secretary. And it was the outpouring of love from the church. Meals started coming to the home every day. My uncle was like, who does this? <laughs> who are these people? Her preacher came over and would pray with my grandfather, and he loved to play golf. My uncle loved to play golf. And he would invite my uncle to go and play golf with him. And it wasn't too long before he won my uncle to the Lord and baptized him. And I remember my uncle saying that it was the way the church responded as a family, full of love, during that time that won him to Christ. Tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. We need, we need to hurt when others hurt. <laughs> and we need to be totally affected by, by what's going on in the lives of people around us. Our hearts need not be hardened. Humble-minded is the next one, number five of seven. Humble-minded. Again, it's amazing how when we humble ourselves, 
we actually start to feel better about ourselves. Isn't that kind of an, an oxymoron or it's ironic or whatever you want to call it? It's just kind of an interesting thing. The more you try to please yourself, the more you try to lift yourself up, the more you focus on self, the more you try to better yourself, the, the more discouraged you can become. But when you humble yourself and you realize, I am only the good that I am because of the Lord Jesus Christ and the filling of his Holy Spirit, and I'm no better than anyone else and no more important than anyone else, and I don't deserve the best parking spot unless I need it for physical reasons, but I'm going to elevate Jesus only, and I'm going to treat everyone else more higher than myself. And then what happens to your (laughs) self-esteem? If it's sincere, your, your humility, that is, it's not too long before before you find yourself feeling better about you. Number six, I call this one blessed forgiveness because of the way the verse reads. (laughs) If you want to be blessed, you forgive. There is a blessing that comes with forgiveness. Jesus included forgiveness in his example prayer, the so-called Lord's Prayer. He said in Matthew 6, verse 12, and forgive us our debts, comma, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us when we do wrong as we forgive others who have done us wrong. It's a con- it, it, it does seem a little conditional. I'm going to forgive because I've been uh, forgiven. Uh, one commentator writes, to get even with those who have done you wrong, evil for evil, good for good, That's the human level. You go below the human level, that's to give evil to those who have done good to you, (laughs) to treat others unfairly. You want to take it above the human level, the positive, you do good to those who have done evil to you. You treat your enemies as if they were friends. And that is throughout the Word of God, and in so doing, we find ourselves having fewer enemies Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I I, I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I, by nature, can be a hard-hearted person. I want to get even. I, I, I don't always want to stop when I see somebody in need because I'm busy and I've got somewhere I need to be. Uh, when I say, hey, how you doing? I don't always mean, hey, tell me how you are. I just mean, hello. <laughs> but God can put his heart in me and take my stony heart out. Psalm 51, 10 through 12 puts it as a prayer. David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. My, one of my life verses, John fifteen eleven says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and then your joy may be full. I have joy. Well, it's not my joy. I don't want my joy. My joy is conditional. My joy is more of a happiness. I'm happy if it's a pretty day. I'm happy if I get to go fishing. I'm happy if my car doesn't break down. I want his joy in me. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, Jesus says in John 15. That's the kind of joy I want. One final thing that we have from this passage, and that is peaceful speech. Speak peace. 
That means that we, we don't uh, revile one another. It means we don't gossip. It means we don't belittle other people to try to elevate ourselves. If you're, uh, you know, when, when somebody is a bully, they, they tend to bully others because they have a low self-esteem. It's, it's true. It really does happen. But instead of, of putting others down and discouraging others, we build them up. And we're in this together. And these first century Christians, scattered, persecuted, isolated, they needed to hear that they were worth fighting for, that they were loved, that they were part of something bigger than themselves. Our unconditional love must be for the community around us. It must exist in the home for our wives and husbands, for our kids and our parents and our guests that we entertain. And in the church, right here in the church, we should be a place where everyone's accepted, where we meet them just as they are. We include them. We don't just tolerate them or let them watch us do church, but we bring them into the fellowship and we get them involved and connected. That's what I dream for Dover. That's what God dreams for his church. And with the help of his Holy Spirit, I know he can accomplish that. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for your amazing love, that you loved us first. You demonstrated it toward us. So, Father, now as we, as we look around at our brothers and sisters in Christ as the family of God, and we have brotherly and sisterly love for one another, God, I pray that as our Heavenly Father that you would take great delight in seeing your children, uh, Father, in a harmonious and loving uh, environment. Father God, continue to to fill us with your Holy Spirit. Continue, God, to revive us. Revive us again, O Lord, and use us for your glory. God, help us be in tune with what's going on. God, we won't miss these God opportunities that you've given us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for our salvation. And Lord God, once again, as we praise you, may you be honored and glorified by it all. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be standing right down front. If you have a decision for Christ, if you'd like to make him your Lord and Savior, if you've never had the opportunity to be baptized and you would like that opportunity today, uh, we invite you to do so. If you're already a baptized believer in Christ and you're looking for a church home, everything that I've said about this church, uh, I feel deeply and sincerely in my heart, and I want you to get to be a part of it because it is a great, a great church family. You come as we stand in his mat and his team lead us.